Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. Today we're going to talk about the history of the building that currently serves as the MacArthur Memorial and the final resting place of General Douglas MacArthur. Museum visitors frequently ask about the building and want to know if it was built just to house the General's Museum. The answer to this question is no. Long before the MacArthur Memorial even existed, this structure served as the City Hall and Courthouse of Norfolk, Virginia. Completed three decades before General MacArthur was born, Today, the building has the distinction of being one of the few surviving antebellum structures in downtown Norfolk. In 1960, 110 years after its construction, renovations began to turn the building into the MacArthur Memorial. The memorial opened to the public four years later in 1964. This podcast will address the creation of the museum itself and explore some of the interesting history surrounding the building. As a city center for more than a century, The building has a storied past, a past that includes a visit from a presidential hopeful and also the formal surrender of the city of Norfolk to the Union Army during the Civil War. The story of the building begins in 1845, when Norfolk became an independent city. Almost immediately, it was apparent that a new, larger city hall and courthouse would be needed. Debate arose, however, over where the new building should be erected. Initially, the city council voted to construct the new building on the site of the existing city hall building. When put to a referendum, however, the public favored a new site, an area named the Public Square. The Public Square was itself actually a relatively new addition to Norfolk. In the 18th and 19th centuries, Norfolk was much smaller than it is today, consisting mainly of the relatively high ground along Main Street and a block or two to either side with the area being hemmed in almost completely by water. To the south and west lay the Elizabeth River. To the east was Newton's Creek, site of the Harbor Park Baseball Stadium today. And Bat Creek ran along the north, making the area a relative island. Bat Creek was navigable at high tide, but at low tide it turned into a swampy marsh. At the time, one local resident complained, The creek is a foul blotch on our fair town. Whenever the tide ebbs, it is left dry and covered at the edges with slime. In response to complaints like this, by 1840, much of Bat Creek and the surrounding marsh had been filled in. Part of the reclaimed land was designated the New Public Square. A local newspaper printed a letter that expressed hope that part of the New Public Square would be set aside for a city hall building. The letter writer envisioned a new city hall building that would be a new and striking ornament, a focal point and landmark for all of those coming to Norfolk. With the site chosen through public referendum, in February 1846, the city council directed that a committee be formed to solicit plans for a new city hall building. Advertisements appeared in the local newspapers in March, offering a payment of $100 to the designer of the plan selected. 
In April, the committee selected a building plan submitted by William R. Singleton, assisted by Thomas U. Walter. Both Singleton and Walter were well-known architects at the time. Born in Norfolk, Virginia, Singleton graduated from Middlebury College in Vermont and spent much of his early career working between St. Louis and Norfolk. While working in Missouri, he received his first major commission, the Illinois State House. Living in Norfolk in the mid-1840s, he received the commission for the new Norfolk City Hall and Courthouse. Singleton's partner in the design was Thomas U. Walter, possibly the best-known American architect of the 19th century, with the exception of Benjamin Latrobe. Walter was born in Philadelphia, and as a young man he apprenticed in brick and stone masonry. He also studied at the Franklin Institute, and in 1841 was named the Institute's Professor of Architecture. His list of accomplishments grew rapidly during the 1830s and 40s, and he designed scores of buildings, many of them Greek Revival in style. Some of his more notable buildings from that time period include Nicholas Biddle's estate Andalusia, the residence of Joseph Bailey of the jeweler Bailey Banks and Biddle, and Philadelphia's Moya Mensing Prison. Moya Mensing Prison brought Walter national attention for its unique part-Gothic, part-Egyptian revival design. It would gain further fame housing such notable inmates as Edgar Allan Poe and Al Capone. By 1850, however, Walter's greatest accomplishment was his design of the Senate and House Wings and Dome of the U.S. Capitol Building in Washington, D.C. In an interesting coincidence, when General MacArthur died in April of 1964, his body lay in state in the Capitol Rotunda and then in the Rotunda of the MacArthur Memorial, beneath two domes designed by Walter. To fund the new City Hall building, the City of Norfolk sold the old City Hall building and assessed each eligible voter one dollar. Piles for the building were driven between May and July of 1847, and by the end of August it was time for the cornerstone to be laid. This happened on August 23, 1847, in an elaborate ceremony. Following the largest public parade in the city's history, the Reverend A. L. Hitzelberger, pastor of St. Patrick's Catholic Church, delivered the keynote address. A copper time capsule was placed in the foundation. It contained a brick from the previous courthouse, an 1847 almanac, a Bible, several coins, newspapers announcing the cornerstone laying, a copy of the city charter, assorted historical papers, some dating back to the 18th century, and bearing the signatures of Thomas Jefferson and Dolly Madison. This time capsule remained buried until 1961 at which time it was unearthed. Unfortunately, with the exception of the coins and the brick, the contents had been destroyed by moisture. The building was completed in early 1850, at a cost of about $50,000, $30,000 over what it had been projected to cost. The completed structure was two stories, with a 52-foot-high dome atop a tin roof. A central hallway extended the length of the building, with double doors at both ends, with the Norfolk courtroom to the left and the mayor's and sheriff's offices to the right. The U.S. District Courtroom and City Council Chambers were located on the second floor. The basement of the building also housed a 5,000-gallon cistern designed to catch rainwater in the event of an emergency water shortage. In the decades that followed, the dome and flag atop the building were visible for miles around 
and visitors would climb two flights of steep stairs into the dome to get a bird's-eye view of the town and harbor. The city council held its first meeting in the new building on April 24, 1850, with the first court convening on May 29th. Judge Richard H. Baker first occupied the bench of what the Norfolk Papers called the Worshipful Court of the City of Norfolk. In the first case heard, James M. Connor, identified by the papers as a Yankee, was found guilty of fraudulently obtaining money from a local resident. He was sentenced to ten months in jail and fined one cent. By the end of the 1850s, sectionalism was coming to dominate national politics as the country split ideologically along geographic lines between North and South. This political divide was evident in the presidential election of 1860, which saw the Democratic Party split, resulting in a four-way presidential race between Republican Abraham Lincoln, Northern Democrat Stephen Douglas, Southern Democrat John C. Breckinridge, and John Bell of the new Constitutional Union Party. In late August 1860, Northern Democrat Stephen Douglas came to Norfolk. A crowd estimated at 5,000 assembled in front of the City Hall building as Douglas delivered his speech from the front steps of the building. According to one account, the crowd listened attentively but without enthusiasm. Douglas eventually received 52 votes from Norfolk County and 233 from Norfolk City. Overall, Virginia's voters were split almost evenly between Southern Democrat John Breckinridge and Constitutional Union candidate John Bell, with the state's 15 electoral votes ultimately going to Bell by a margin of only 150 votes. Tensions increased, and in April of 1861, Virginia seceded from the Union, and Norfolk, with its shipyard and other military facilities, became an important part of the new Confederacy. Local militia companies were mustered into Confederate service, and troops from around Virginia arrived to defend Norfolk against attack from Federal forces based out of nearby Fort Monroe. For about a year, Norfolk was secure behind its defenses, which grew to include the ironclad warship CSS Virginia. The arrival of Major General George B. McClellan's 100,000-man Army of the Potomac at Fort Monroe in April of 1862 changed that. Confederate forces opposing McClellan on the north side of the James River were heavily outnumbered and were forced to retreat westward towards Richmond in early May of 1862. The forces left to defend Norfolk were then left isolated and vulnerable, and the abandonment of the city became inevitable. President Lincoln came to Fort Monroe to observe McClellan's progress and helped to plan the attack on Norfolk. On May 10th, the Union troops landed and marched on Norfolk. Little opposition was met, as the Confederates had already abandoned the city. A reporter from Harper's Weekly rode with the column and wrote of the day, In the immediate environs of the city, we saw a white flag being waved. Upon advancing, it was found to be the mayor and a portion of the common council, who had come out from the city to see what terms would be demanded and to turn the city over to the Federals. This delegation was partly a Confederate ruse designed to delay the Federals long enough to finish evacuating Norfolk and destroy the shipyard. As the Federals entered the city, they received anything but a warm welcome from Norfolk's inhabitants. The Harper's Weekly correspondent wrote, Children scattered. 
blind slammed, and the people peeped rather than looked. The crowds upon the corners were quiet, through the city to the city hall. At the city hall building, Mayor William Lamb, Union Major General John Wool, and their staffs worked out the peaceful transfer of the city to the Federals. After surrendering the city, Mayor Lamb came out and addressed a large crowd of citizens assembled outside the building. He explained that he regretted that the Confederates had abandoned the city and that he had met with Federal officials to secure protection for the city and its inhabitants. After requesting that the crowd refrain from violence against the occupation troops, he led the crowd in three cheers for Confederate President Jefferson Davis and three groans for President Lincoln. Norfolk would remain under federal control for the rest of the war. When the war ended, the City Hall building was once again used for relatively mundane council meetings and court proceedings. Virginia's new post-war constitution sparked considerable debates within the walls of the building, but for the most part, the next decades were uneventful. On September 2, 1918, the City Council met for the final time in the building. Following this, the building functioned solely as a courthouse until 1960. In 1951, General MacArthur visited Norfolk to dedicate a park to his mother. His mother was a Norfolk native, and during his visit, the general remarked to his hosts that Norfolk felt like home to him. Seizing on the general's sentimental connection to the city, Norfolk's leaders began looking into the possibility of creating a local memorial and museum to the general. In November of 1960, Norfolk's mayor, Fred Duckworth, and other city leaders decided to approach General MacArthur with the offer to establish a memorial and museum in his honor in Norfolk. As part of the negotiations, General MacArthur was given color photographs of a variety of potential sites, including the old City Hall building. Armed with these photographs, and with letters of support from city leaders, the General's decision came relatively quickly. In late December 1960, Mayor Duckworth announced that General MacArthur had accepted Norfolk's offer and had chosen the old City Hall building as the site for his memorial. This news garnered national attention, and papers like the New York Times and the Herald Tribune devoted front-page stories to the new memorial. The press in Virginia was particularly thrilled, and the Richmond Times-Dispatch hailed the decision, calling it fitting that one of America's greatest generals would lie in the soil of the Old Dominion, which already held the dust of such captains as Washington and Lee, Jackson and Stuart. Official plans for the renovation of the building were revealed in June 1961. The cost for these renovations was placed at $525,000. The architects of the project justified this cost by pointing out that the external historic structure could not be altered, but that the entire interior of the building would have to be redone to accommodate the tombs and galleries. Some in Norfolk were upset that their tax dollars were going to this project, and there were legal challenges. In the end, however, these challenges failed and renovations began. By mid-1963, the project was nearly complete. Wood from the Philippines, and marble from Italy arrived to add the final polish to the interior of the rotunda, and local papers informed an expectant public that few who had been inside the old city hall and courthouse building would recognize the new interior of the building. 
One reporter wrote that the renovation project had basically constructed a building inside a building. After several delays and over $200,000 in cost overruns, the memorial finally opened to the public on January 26, 1964. More than 3,000 people visited the memorial the first day. Months after the opening, public interest in the memorial remained high. A two-foot-tall cake was even designed in the shape of the memorial and exhibited at a local culinary art show. Plans for General MacArthur to personally dedicate the memorial in May of 1964 were announced, but in failing health, the general died before the proposed dedication on April 5, 1964. Instead, from April 9th to April 11th, the general's body lay in state in the memorial's rotunda. Over 60,000 people came to pay their respects to him during this period, and the staff of the memorial was forced to keep the building's doors open night and day to accommodate the crowds. In the decades that have followed, the memorial building has become an internationally recognized symbol of General MacArthur's life and legacy. To date, more than four and a half million people have visited the museum since its opening. In over 160 years of existence, Norfolk's old City Hall building has gone through many transitions. Despite all of this change, the building remains a striking ornament, as it was intended from the very beginning. Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.